This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. He konai purangi te nei na te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, no mai harumai kitiau hurihanga. Hello and welcome to the Summer Science Series on Our Changing World. Ko klakin kanan tēnei. This week, we have a short bonus episode for you from a science and society student at Teheranawaka, Victoria University of Wellington. Samantha Lloyd Evans takes us to Zealandia Eco Sanctuary, where the Kaka population is expanding into surrounding suburbs and encountering both people and novel foods. As a Wellington local my whole life, it's clear to me that native birds in our capital city are doing better than ever especially the lowland equivalent of a kia, kaka. Just like kia, kaka are curious, playful, and often happy to be fed by humans. With a rise in kaka numbers, Wellingtonians are relearning how to live with these large parrots. To learn more about this, I went to the Zealandia Bird Sanctuary to meet up with their lead ranger. I'm Ellen Irwin. I'm the lead ranger for the conservation team. So basically looking after the flora and fauna of the valley. And we had a walk through Zealandia to discuss the implications of kaka numbers trending upwards. There's not many places in the world where you have this rare bird species that's just coming into people's backyards. In fact, I think Wellington is one of the only, if not the only, city where urban biodiversity is actually increasing. Could you talk a little bit on that process of them coming back. So when, was it 20 years ago? How long ago did this process start? Yeah, so Zelandia's fence went up in 1999, and then all all mammalian predators were removed, although mice have since managed to get back in. And so Kaka, once, once the valley was sort of a safe space for rare species, we started reintroducing them to the valley. And so Kaka were one of the first. They were in the early 2000s, so I think it's been just over 20 years that they, that when they were first brought back to Wellington. There's a really cool, if you look at like the sightings of Kaka over time on, say, iNaturalist, you can just see them spreading up the Wellington Peninsula. And so I live out in Tawa, and I've lived there for a couple of years, and it's only been recently that I've, I've been hearing Kaka constantly around my house, which is pretty awesome. A lot of Wellingtonians have been seeing Kaka out and about more often, and visitors and locals alike will notice the impact that these birds have. Something that I've heard from people that are a bit new to the area is people are a bit surprised by how kaka affect the trees and the mm-hmm. wood around them. Yeah, what we've noticed in Wellington is that, so kaka are very, very inquisitive birds. They'll interact readily with people, like a lot of New Zealand species. They're not used to, you know, they didn't evolve with mammals, and so they'll kind of readily approach you. And what we've seen in Wellington is when people 
outside the sanctuary are feeding and often feeding lots of birds. This often causes, because they're not feeding them sort of appropriate food, causes the birds to get a lot of their energy and calories all at once. And so it's kind of like getting a little kid hyped up on sugar. They love it, but it's not great for them. And so that's when they can become a bit destructive and start chewing on both the deck or the roofs of the person feeding them, but also their neighbors. So often when neighbors call in to, to complain about kaka damage, it's because someone nearby is feeding. So when you're saying feeding, are you talking about giving them specific food or just generally any kind of bird feeders that are out in people's gardens? People feed them. I've heard a wide variety of things that people have fed them. A lot of them feed nuts, which are really, really bad for cock. But um, I mean, I've heard things like ice cream and steak and just leftovers, pies, like you name it. <laughs> people have fed it to them. And the birds will eat it. They love it. You know, it's free food, but it's not good for them. It's understandable that foods like steak and ice cream would be bad for a native parrot. But the first thing that Ellen mentioned is not as obviously harmful. Nuts specifically. That's interesting because these are parrots. So Mm -hmm. it makes sense that people would kind of think that nuts and seeds would be a good thing for them. Yeah. Yeah. So basically what happens with nuts is in the wild... Oh, well, for one thing, you know, things like almonds and cashews and peanuts don't grow naturally in New Zealand. So it's not something like haka would, would normally eat. But also even the kind of nuts and seeds that they do eat here, the birds are having to crack things open and it takes a long time. So they aren't able to eat a lot of them all at once. And so what happens when people put out a whole bunch of, you know, almonds and cashews and peanuts, the birds are able to, to eat a whole bunch at once and it causes an imbalance in the ratio of calcium to phosphorus in their diet. And so this can cause something called metabolic bone disease, which is a really horrible disease. It affects adults, but it's particularly devastating on chicks. They'll have things like broken feathers. They'll have trouble sitting up. But in extreme cases, it can cause a lot of bone fractures. Their bones are literally spongy. Even, you know, say if we were picking one up for a health check, that could cause bones to break, just even gently picking them up. And it can also cause things like crossbill, where the bill is actually crossed. And so most of these chicks... The disease is usually fatal. Most of these chicks will die in the nest. And even the ones that do manage to make it out will often be in really poor condition. Folks are, they really care about these birds and they're wanting to support them and and everything, but they're not actually seeing the devastation that feeding can cause. That's back in the nest with the chicks. So I think people sometimes don't realize the impact of feeding. And yeah, I mean, there's other diseases as well. You think about how much we were disinfecting things during covid feeding birds, if you're not constantly changing and cleaning your feeder, it's kind of like if you have a bunch of messy toddlers in your kitchen and you just never clean it. Birds are pooing everywhere. There's often multiple species. They're dropping food everywhere. That brings in rats. We found that where people are feeding, there'll often be high rat numbers, which is obviously not great for the birds or for the people. It can cause birds to be aggressive as well if they're used to being fed. And then obviously it annoys the neighbors because then we've had people having reports of like bringing 70 kaka in a night because they're feeding. Yes, so no, we're, I've, I've experienced that. Yeah, before. yeah, because like one bird figures it out and kaka will communicate with each other and more and more will come. And so there's a lot of reasons not to feed. Yeah, and there's other diseases. People found salmonella on feeders. They can get really horrible fungal infections sometimes from some of the food. I think peanuts in particular are pretty bad for that. So best thing to do is plant natives. If you've visited Zelandia before, you may have seen that the sanctuary itself has a set of large kaka feeders. Ellen and I have been walking up the valley as we talk, 
to take a look at these. All right, here we are. These ones here, we don't have any kaka at them right now, but we've actually got two ducks hanging around underneath. Would you mind telling me what's going on with these specific feeders that makes them different from the normal ones you'd see in someone's garden? Yeah, so generally we take a pretty hands-off approach. We want wildlife to, to be wild and to do its thing naturally because birds know how to take care of themselves better better than we can. But there are certain vulnerable species like kaka that we do have to provide a little bit of extra support. Kaka, while you see them all around Wellington, they're still very vulnerable outside of a mammalian-free environment. And so particularly when they're nesting or when the chicks fledge, we still get lots of reports of chicks being predated. They'll spend a few days on the ground after they fledge, so they're kind of sitting targets for things like dogs or stoats or cats. So... We want to anchor as many birds in the sanctuary as possible and encourage them to breed in a place that's safe. And so that's why we provide a bit of supplementary food here at Zelandia to kind of encourage the birds to remain here. We're not artificially boosting their population. It's a very small part of their diet. They're specially formulated parrot pellets that are quite expensive to make sure that it's still a healthy thing for them to eat. And we clean the feeders every day. We do a deep clean of the feeders every few weeks. So hygiene is incredibly important to us. So we just want to make sure that if we are doing any feeding, that it's done in as safe a way as possible to really help the birds. Extreme hygiene, special expensive food, not quite the same as a casual backyard feeder. So if regular locals shouldn't be feeding these birds, what can Wellingtonians do to encourage kaka to flourish in our gardens? The best thing you can do to care for the birds in your backyard is plant lots of natives that provide food for them to feed on. There's some really awesome planting guides, both by local councils, as well as dock and forest and bird, that suggest a range of plants to suit the size of your garden and depending on kind of what species you're wanting to attract in. And also obviously where in the country you're from, because some plants are, are more appropriate. Even I think I looked at one from Greater Wellington that even had the different areas of Wellington. So if you live on the coast, you might be planting different species than if you're sort of more in the interior. Planting natives that provide things like nectar, fruits, seeds, that also provide homes for lizards and invertebrates, because the more you can do to create a really healthy ecosystem, it's not just about the birds, the more diversity you'll have in your backyard. Other really awesome things to do is uh, join your local trapping group so that when the birds are coming to your yard to feed, they're in a safe space. So I think pretty much every suburb in Wellington now has a predator-free trapping group. So if you get in touch with your local one, they should be able to provide you with a trap and, and give you some advice and everything. And the other main thing would be responsible pet ownership. So just making sure that you're taking care of your cats and dogs and, and that they're not putting native wildlife at risk. There are even apps and websites to help you and your family feel more connected with our local wildlife. Use things like iNaturalist and eBird. These are really cool apps where you can report sightings. If you see something that you're not sure of what it is, if you stick a photo on there, there are lots of people who can help you identify it. And this is a really great resource to contribute to citizen science. So a lot of scientists, and us as well, use these apps to be able to track the spread of birds and other wildlife throughout New Zealand. And so that's a really cool thing. If you're doing a lot of planting and a lot of trapping, you can probably actually record as, as the biodiversity of your backyard is, is increasing. So that's kind of a cool way for you to track what's going on in your own backyard. It's amazing just how far Wellington has come in terms of encouraging and supporting native birds. While there's always more conservation work to do, sometimes it's good to stop and appreciate how lucky we are. There's not many places in the world you can go and see this this really rare 
amazing bird in just in your backyard or flying over Parliament. People want to be helping these birds. Surveys have shown that most Wellingtonians are super psyched to have kaka in their backyards. So people really care. And I think, yeah, sometimes that care gets directed into things that have unintended consequences. If you were someone who feeds kaka, or who has fed them in the past, that's okay. While we now know that feeding isn't the way to go, it's never too late to switch to supporting these birds in a way that protects their health and prevents disease in their chicks. Thanks, Samantha. That was Kaka in Wellington, a podcast produced by Victoria University of Wellington science and society student Samantha Lloyd-Evans. Samantha spoke to Zealandia conservation ranger Ellen Irwin. Our Changing World producer, Ellen Rikers, provided editing and assembly assistance with a little bit of help from me, Claire Kincannon. Sound engineering was by William Saunders and Tim Watkin is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. Now, I hope you're having a lovely summer. We'll be back next week with some more student podcasts, this time from the Department of Science Communication at the University of Otago. Until then, tēnākoe i mai. Thanks so much for tuning in. Ko Claire Kincannon Kia pai, the wiki.